There's a friend of mine that many of you know. His name is Scott Lackey. Uh, he served here for a little while as an intern, and then he served in North Tonawanda with us as well uh, as a youth leader. He's uh, this last week was down in uh, the south uh, working on a response uh, to a hurricane uh, there and, and working, and it reminded me of a story uh, that we interacted with when we went. There's a group of us from our church a number of years ago that went to Baton Rouge. There was a, a major flood that happened there in Baton Rouge, and we got in our vehicles and we drove some 30 hours to get there uh, to go and respond to this uh, tragedy. Uh, it happened where there was a storm that had come in, there was a hurricane that had come in, but it wasn't really the hurricane that had caused the problems, it was the flooding that followed. And we met a man there uh, in Baton Rouge. He was there serving alongside of us. Uh, he was so grateful for God's protection uh, in his own life that he had uh, gathered together his things and come and served so that he could help others as well. What happened with him is he was there uh, making his way, trying to come and help others uh, respond to this emergency when he was on a causeway. So a causeway, we don't have many of them around here, but in the south of there's a lot of different waterways that come in. Uh, these causeways are made across. It's kind of like a bridge and kind of like a ford that goes across. And so it was this, this causeway that went across, but he was in a traffic jam. And so they were stopped there on the causeway, and the traffic hadn't moved for hours and hours, and it was getting late into the night, and they realized that the water was rising around them there on the causeway. Nowhere to go, couldn't drive forward, couldn't go back, couldn't go left or right. And what he had to do in order to survive the night was to climb on the top of his minivan and sit there in the darkness while he heard the water begin splashing and coming up higher and higher. Then it came onto the road, uh, then began to you know, splash at the tires of his vehicle. Uh, and, and rocking back and forth there in the night, praying for morning to come to, to hope that he would be able to survive the night. Just there in the darkness, awaiting the morning, not knowing uh, what might come. So that's the, the basis, the background that I want to kind of set that mood for us this morning as we uh, look at our text. My name is Pastor Milo. For any of you who are first time being here, we are looking at John chapter 1 this morning. And we get this idea, this concept, as the sermon is built around a light has dawned. Morning is coming. There is light that is coming in the morning, but there is this darkness, this turbulence, this waiting for the light to come. And very much like my friend that I met there in Baton Rouge, just waiting through the night, not sure what would happen, knowing that the water was rising around and not knowing what would happen if he was swept out to sea or any of those things, just really unsure of what was going to happen. That is the tension, that is the mood that the book of John and many of the Gospels begin with. But first I want to read for you the verse that we just read from the book of Isaiah. Pastor Brian just read this. This is from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and it says this, The people who are walking along in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is what became a song of the Jews. This, is, this happens in the Old Testament. The, the Isaiah is a prophet that shares these words. So for years and years, they had turned this into a song that they would sing to one another about the darkness being around them, but the morning would come and the light would come. And in many ways, as they were being tossed back and forth, they're being rocked, as their foundation is unsteady and unsure, they are waiting for the light to come, this expectancy 
for the light to come. This song that's in their heart. Songs are powerful. Songs help us to be able to see beyond the present and see uh, towards the future. We just uh, sang this song just a moment ago. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's part of that song that just helps us look forward, look beyond our current circumstances. Songs have that power. This time of year, we think about songs maybe more often than another time of year, just because there's this huge wave that comes at us. It used to start just after Thanksgiving, and then it started just after uh, Halloween, and now it starts just after the 4th of July when (laughs) Christmas music starts coming at us, this wave of Christmas music. In 2012, the BBC published a documentary that called The World's Top Ten Richest Songs. See, there's a reason why all these songs come at us in waves is because they make money. They make lots and lots of money. So of the world's top ten richest songs, three of the top ten songs in history are Christmas songs. Uh, They're the highest grossing. Next to number one on this top ten list is the song, Happy Birthday. So in case you uh, didn't uh, send your royalties in when you sang happy birthday this month, make sure that you uh, send your check in to the one who wrote that one. That song is trademarked, by the way, and that song grosses at $30 million. But in 1934, a jazz musician by the name of Mel Torme wrote a song called The Christmas Song. I didn't know it was called this title until this very week. The first line of the song is chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I thought that was the name of the song. It's not the name of the song. It's called The Christmas Song. He wrote it in the middle of blistering Los Angeles in the summer, and, and uh, his, there was no open fire. There was no Jack Frost on this particular day, and it took him about 45 minutes to write the song, and he's made at least $20 million off of it ever since. And he, at the top of all of that, is Jewish. And so he wrote this jazz Christmas song, and he's, he's just doing fine. He's, he's really glad to write that song. Songs have the power to bring us hope when there is no hope, to bring us joy when there is no joy, to take us somewhere that we are not currently at, to bring light in the midst of darkness and freedom in the middle of bondage. As the people were walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is the song in the heart of the Jews. But it's important not only to remember that this is a song that is very old for them and that they are hearing this again and again, generation after generation, but we also need to understand the context even in Isaiah as we get it. Because if we suck it, if we pull out of context and miss what's going on in Isaiah, we, we, we also miss some of the weight of it. As Pastor Brian talked about last week, there's a 400-year gap. Or there's silence that happens uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But this is even kind of farther back than that. There's, this is 700 years before we see it's uh, coming to fruition in the New Testament. Isaiah is lifting up this song of hope in the midst of darkness and difficulty and distress. There's this northern nation by the name of Assyria, and it's oppressing the northern kingdom of Israel. And as this, as this nation is in the middle of bondage and difficulty, distress and hardship, they begin singing this song. They have this choice that they have to make. Will they turn to God or will they do things on their own path and in their own way? Will they follow along in and, and walk towards the light or they remain in darkness? This is a choice that they have to make and it's a choice 
that we have to make as well. And if you know the Bible and if you know history, we see the context of how these choices comes together. So if you did look there, I'll read it to you, but Isaiah chapter 8, these are the verses that lead just up to what we read. It says this in verse 19, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of their dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam throughout the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and they will curse their God. They will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness, fearfulness and gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. I didn't put that on the screen for you this morning. Maybe I should have, but many of you probably wouldn't be copying that down for your Christmas card this year. Look towards the earth where they see only distress, darkness, fearfulness, gloom, and then be thrust even further into utter darkness. I said that there was a choice to be made, and here's the choice. When God offered His people light, again and again, they opted for darkness. When God offered His people light, they again and again opted for darkness. And you can see that that's what's happening. The people know that they should inquire of God instead of consulting with mediums and with spirits. And you say, well, that was them. That was them before the New Testament. And we see that they would make those mistakes, but we wouldn't make those mistakes now, would we? But you know what? Time passes and human nature makes the same mistakes again and again and again. Sin does that to us. History does repeat itself. They had this opportunity to, to praise their God, to elevate their king. You know what the text says? Instead, they cursed their God and they cursed their king. And what we can do is we look at all the havoc and the chaos that's around us and we see all this and we see darkness, we see distress, and we see gloom because darkness is real. And it's not just the darkness that's out there. It's the darkness that's within us as well. And we have to realize that and be aware of that. God offers us light, and yet we continually opt for darkness. I was reading a story this week about a little boy who was writing letters to Santa Claus at Christmas. But Santa had not been fulfilling his end of the bargain. At least that was the idea that the kid had. He wasn't getting the gifts that he wanted. So he decided to write a little bit more forcefully in his letters. He worked up an organizational chart and decided to complain to Santa by writing him a letter. And, and so he went up above Santa and he wrote to God instead of Santa because he wanted to get Santa in order. Dear God, I've been good most of the time this year and so I would like most of my presents. <laughs> so he's got the right idea, but then he crossed it out again. He says, Dear God, I'm reasonably sure I have been good some of the time this year, so I would like some of my presents. And he crossed that out. And this little boy looks over at the little nativity set that his parents have laid out by the Christmas tree. He notices little baby Jesus in the manger, decides to pick it up and hold it in his hand, and then he writes in his letter, Dear God, if you ever want to see your son again, I want all of my presents this year. Now we tell each other stories like this, and it's a good laugh. We poke fun at it, but the darkness isn't just out there, is it? A darkness is inside of each and every one of us. And it's true that God has offered us light, and we opt 
for the darkness. But there's something else that's true here as well, and this is the context. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the the past, the humbled land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee, the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So nevertheless, even though that darkness resides in us, even though that darkness resides in the land of Israel, nevertheless, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. When God offered his people light, they opted for darkness. Time and time again, history repeats itself. But thank God for John chapter 1. Here's the first point for you this morning. Jesus is greater than time. Jesus is greater than than time. Time repeats itself again and again. History repeats itself again. The sin nature still resides in us. However, we serve a God, we serve Jesus Christ, who is greater than time. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. If you were here last week, Pastor Brian did a nice job with us to be able to talk about all these different connections that John is making with his gospel back to the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, this opening statement of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he calls him the Word. So why the word Word? And if you have noticed in your Bibles there, that word is capitalized. So we need to know that not only is Jesus and his teaching what we talk about, but it is who we are talking about. It's not just good ideas. It's not just good ways to live life. No, this is the Word of God, and it is who we are talking about. And so he capitalizes and he calls Jesus the Word. From the beginning of time, before the heavens and the earth existed, Jesus already existed. There was never a time when Jesus did not exist. There was never a time when Jesus was not. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning. Now, in just a very succinct phrase here, John, the author, has gotten a pretty complex concept out to us. We can't really fathom it, to be honest. We can't really think back more than, you know, 10 years or 20 years, let alone 10,000 years or longer, to be able to fathom beyond our comprehension, however far you want to think back, God was there, and then go a little bit farther. He was there. In the beginning was the Word. The Word has no beginning because Jesus is greater than time itself. And so if we have this fear, we have this concern that in time everything just repeats itself. We're going to keep making the same mistakes over and over. Okay, that's the sin nature. Okay, that's where we are. Let's just deal with that. But the reality is we serve someone that is greater than that. Greater than time. Secondly, Jesus is greater than space. Greater than space. Verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus is greater than space. So John, in a very simple way here, he's stating the first truth in the positive, and then he's going to state it in the negative. He says, all things were made through him. 
kind of gets the basis out there, says all things were made through him. And then he says there was nothing that was made that wasn't made by him to be able to emphasize and drive us back to that. So what's the conclusion there? He made everything. He made the tiny cells. He made the molecules. He made the greatness and the, 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 the grandeur that is outer space that we have spent Certainly here in the Americas, we get excited. But we're sending spacecraft all over the place, trying to explore, sending, sending anything we can possibly out there just to see, to fathom. And we're doing the same thing even in our own oceans here as well, to be able to, to, to go as deep as we possibly can, to be able to see. And, and it's just immense what we're finding. And he made all of that. And as we talked about, it became the nativity story. When we shared that story, we also said, and at the apex, the climax of his creation, God created man, scooped up the dust of the earth, breathed into it. In his own image, he made him. Male and female, he made them. He made man who sits on the circle of the earth, who sits in the pews in this room. And, and the reality is God made man, and then man made many, many things that we experience here in this human experience. But it's all because of what God has done. There's plenty of different television shows that have to do with remodeling. There's HGTV. All the, the Trading Spaces was one of the earlier shows that came out kind of in this concept. Is I'm going to come from my house and I'm going to go to your house and we'll, re, we'll renovate your living room and we'll renovate the living room over it. There's this change, this Trading Spaces, and at the end we'll reveal the change that has been made. That's what's kind of going on here when we say Jesus is greater than space. Whatever that space is, there, if you go to those those shows, there's, there's this whole remodel process that happens. They're going to remodel the play space, or they're going to remodel the kitchen space, or the bedroom space, or the living room space, or the backyard space. You pick whatever space, the treehouse space, all of them. You can go see all of these shows, all of being remodeled. God is greater than all spaces that we could possibly fathom. Jesus is greater than time. Jesus is greater than space. Verse 5, Jesus is greater than darkness. Jesus is greater than darkness. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is greater than darkness. The light shines. It does not have it past tense. The, the light did, did not shine once. The light shines in the darkness. And darkness has not overcome it. So darkness is continually working as well to overcome it, but has not and will not overcome it. When we look at specifically the Christmas story, as, as this is all being played out, darkness cannot overcome it. We, we have this, this story because of the three gifts that are brought there by the wise men who come from the east. We think of them as three wise men. There was probably a dozen or more, but they're coming to, and, and they're coming to uh, the city of Bethlehem, and, and King Herod hears about this baby because they go to the king first. Let's, let's learn about the king. And so they come, and they want to, to tell him, will, will you tell us where the child is? And he did all that he could to find out where this child is. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Herod did all that he possibly could to extinguish the light that had come. 
all that he could. All the baby boys in the area were killed, murdered, to make sure that this new king that could potentially overthrow the throne, that make sure that there would be no uprising, that this king of the Jews would not be something that would begin to get momentum, but he could not succeed. He could not extinguish the light. As an adult, the religious rulers of the day, they lied about Jesus. When he went about his ministry, they would come and they would say things. They would try to trap him and try to make it look like he had said or done something different. They did all that they could to the very point that they took him to the Romans and they had him crucified there on the cross, but they could not extinguish the light. And he died on the cross. They buried him in a tomb. Three days He's in the grave. They make as sure as they possibly can that that grave would be sealed, that there would be guards, that no one could come and tamper with the body because they wanted to be sure that darkness could supreme, could reign, but it could not overcome. All the darkness in the world cannot and has not and will not extinguish the light because Jesus is greater than darkness. Verse 9, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Verse 9 in the New International Version that we're reading today, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Jesus is the light of the world. This is what happened when Jesus enters the story We've, we've changed the name slightly over the years, but we have time starts marching along, marching along, marching along, marching along. It is all what? B.C., before Christ, before common era. And then there's this break in time, zero, that things start and they start moving after that. A.D., after, uh, it's not after death. I almost said that. That's not, that's not, that's not right. Uh, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord going forward. The Bible splits into two parts. History splits into two parts. This character, this person, the Savior of the world, Jesus, all of history focuses on Him. And it says here that the world didn't even notice it. All of history was split in two over this person. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who made the world was in the world, and they didn't even see Him didn't recognize him, didn't know him, didn't even notice him. There's a movie that my family has enjoyed over the years. It's an older movie now. It's called October Sky. It's this story about some boys from West Virginia from a coal mining town. It's built on a true story. They develop a rocket, and one of the boys, Homer Hickman, whose hero is a scientist, and his hero is this NASA uh, uh, Werner von Braun, he's a NASA scientist, he's sent there to Indianapolis to be able to be one of the judges for their uh, science fair, the National Science Fair. And these boys from West Virginia that no one had ever heard of before, again, based on a true story, they win the competition. And as people gather around him at the end, they're all congratulating him there at the ceremony. They're admiring his trophy. They're, they're telling him he's going to have a free ride to college. They're so excited for him. And this man taps him on the shoulder and he says, well done, son, good work. And he walks off and Homer thinks nothing of it. He's caught up in the middle of what he's and he missed his hero. He had no knowledge of him, didn't notice him whatsoever. 
He's all caught up in his own moment. Jesus is the light of the world, and the world didn't even notice. Jesus is the morning star. Jesus is the morning star. Verse 11 goes on, he says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Over in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the morning star. The world didn't even notice his light. His own people didn't want his light. They wouldn't receive him. His own people, the Jews, the people of Israel, who had been, who had been prophesied that the Messiah would come, and he was right there in their midst, in the neighborhood with them. They missed him. They didn't even notice. They didn't receive him. He was an unwelcome guest. He came to a land that was specifically and peculiarly God's people. He came to Israel. He, he should have had then, as He comes, the one that they've been waiting for, the Messiah that has, has been uh, prophesied. They would have, would have and should have welcomed Him with open arms. The door should have been thrown wide open for them. He should have been like a soldier coming back from battle and even more like a king coming down from His kingdom to His people that would be well-loved and respected. But instead, He was rejected. They did not receive him. In John chapter 8, when he says, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. He's, he's saying that in response to the Pharisees of the day, attacking him for healing, attacking him for forgiving sin, attacking him for not condemning the adulterous woman. This is why they're coming after him. They did not receive him. He says, I'm the light of the world. Those who follow me will never walk in darkness, will have the light of life. So what happens? The Gospel of Matthew looks at this verse that we started with today. When Jesus begins his ministry... When Jesus begins moving throughout the area, he, he has gone, he's been out in the desert, he has, he has done uh, battle with the enemy there in the desert, and then he comes and begins his ministry. Matthew calls him the morning star. This is the morning star, and he makes this quote from Isaiah. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, it's going to see almost identical to the verse we read at the beginning. Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, says, The people living in darkness, they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. A light has dawned. Jesus is the morning star. But there's this tiny little difference and how he quotes it. You see, Isaiah's passage said, those who are living in the land of deep darkness. But Matthew gives more clarity. He says, those who live in the land of the shadow of death, a light has come. A light has come. 
You see what Matthew is pointing out, because Matthew's experience, when he is writing the gospel, he now understands the full context of what Jesus is doing, how it, how it can be reframed in the sight of the Old Testament. He understands that Jesus has come to die on the cross for our sins, and then goes to the grave and is victorious over the grave over sin and death. He is victorious over death himself. And so when he says the light of the world has come, he's really pointing out and really uh, pushing the fact that it is sin and death that has been defeated as well. A light has dawned. A light has dawned. When God offered His people light, they opted for darkness. When God offers you and I, when God offers us light, we opt for darkness. How foolish is that? How foolish is that? Why would you continue to walk in darkness? The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the shadow of death, a new light has dawned and continue to walk in darkness. It's mind-boggling. As the band comes forward, I've been driving a vehicle for the last number of weeks with one headlight. The irony of the situation is, is I'm driving the vehicle with one headlight knowing very well that I only have one headlight. And what is the danger of driving with one headlight? That you'll get a ticket. No, it's that you're going to run into something. <laughs> but that was what was in my mind as well. Well, as long as I don't get a ticket, I guess it's okay. But my daughter is now the one driving that vehicle. And it begins to change things. And you also don't want her to get a ticket, right? But in the same sense, she's driving the vehicle and now knowing that the entire time, friends, in the back of the car, in a compartment, I have the spare light bulb to fix the headlight. But the weather's cold. This is the... How foolish is that? How foolish is that? Why would you continue to walk in the darkness? Why would you continue to drive a vehicle with one headlight knowing that you have the bulb in the vehicle with you? So let's say that I was pulled over by a police officer and he says, sir, do you know that you only have one headlight? And I say, yes, I do. I've known it for months. I have a spare bulb in the back. If you'd like, I could change it right here, right now. Would you hold your mag light so I can change my light? That's not how it's going to work, is it? It's going to write me a ticket for the foolishness of driving around like that. In our lives, the light has dawned. He is available to us. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm available to you. Friends, he's available to you and to me and yes, we're going to choose darkness. But he says, choose light. Knowing very well what the sin nature is that's inside of us. Knowing very well all of that. Why? Because he's lived here among us. God offered his people light and they opted for darkness. Why? With every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Lord, we thank you so much. 
Lord, as we live in darkness, and we can, we can look around and we can see darkness all around us. And we can become fixated on the dark, fixated on the things that are wrong in this world, wrong in our own lives, wrong in our own marriages, wrong, wrong, wrong. And yet a light has dawned. Lord, we can walk through this life full of hope because there is a dawn not only coming, the dawn is here. He is here. He's among us. He is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So Lord, if there's any here today who hear that scripture, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And here in the first chapter of John, he says, if, if anyone would receive him, they become the children of God, even those who believe on His name. If you're here this morning and you hear those words, enough is enough. Why would you walk in darkness? Would you choose Jesus? Jesus says, admit that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who He says He is, that He is powerful enough, that He is strong enough to overcome sin, overcome death. And then confess that He is Lord. So if you are here this morning and you need to do that, would you do that in these moments? Admit that you cannot save yourself. Believe that Jesus is who He says He is. Confess that He is Lord. If you are here this morning and you made that decision many, many years ago, and yet you continue to walk in darkness, let today's message, let this first chapter of the Gospel of John remind you that a new day has come. The morning star is here. Walk in the light rather than in the darkness. And in doing so, may we be a people who would shine our light for all to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.